From points across California, you're listening to the Disneyland edition of the Diz Unplugged. Hello and welcome to the Diz Unplugged Roundtable Discussion Disneyland Edition for the week of November 22nd, 2012. I'm your host Tom Bell and I'm joined by our Disneyland team, Wayne Toygo, Nancy Johnson, Mary Jo Mulata willie Tony Spatel, and special guest Michael Bowling. In this segment, Michael is going to tell us about the brand new Snow White exhibit at the Walt Disney Family Museum up in San Francisco. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I know you've talked about the Walt Disney Family Museum before. Just to, for, for any new listeners who aren't familiar with the museum, you know, just as the theme parks remind us that it all started with a mouse, the Walt Disney Family Museum's mission is to really remind us that it actually all started with Walt. Right. And, you know, it, it, it's a museum on the um, old San Francisco Presidio, which was a former military base, and it's in one of the refurbished barracks where there are ten galleries, and each gallery, uh, you know, tells a different segment of Walt's story through a variety of interactive exhibits, um, and it goes from, you know, the very beginning of Walt's life up until his passing um, in December 1966. And it's, it's a, a wonderful place. I mean, it's a great place for um, Disney fans, no matter what your interest is, whether it's the, you know, the history of Walt Disney, if you're interested in the films or animation or the theme parks, there's something there for everyone. In addition to the exhibits, they have special presentations, um, you know, where every month there is somebody that they might talk about a film or a special anniversary that's coming up. And you never know who you'll see there. Um, you know, just when I was at the museum yesterday, um, you know, former Imagineer Alice Davis was there. Wow. And, you know, I've sat next to, you know, Pete Doctor from Pixar, you know, at a presentation. So you just never know. It's really cool who, you know, you rub shoulders with. And one of the, one of the uh, things that the museum is doing is they are now starting, they've expanded their mission in that they're now, uh, they have, they're going to have exhibits on artists who have been influenced by Walt Disney and they're also going to be telling the story of artists that collaborated with Walt Disney. And they started their first major exhibition that's, that's running now through April 14, 2013. And it's in celebration of the 75th anniversary of the film Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And the exhibition is called Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, the Creation of a Classic. And the purpose of the exhibit is to celebrate the artistry of the film, and it explores every step of the animation process and what a collaboration that animation is. Um, it examines the development of the key characters and scenes of, of the film, all the way from the, the concept art all the way to the cell setup. And this was the process that remain the same in making animated films up until the making of The Little Mermaid in 1989. And one of the things that the exhibit also really emphasizes is that Walt's hand was in every single facet of this film. And 
there was a presentation also this Saturday past by J.B. Kaufman, who's a Disney historian, and he addressed the criticism that a lot of people level towards Walt Disney about how he changed the fairy tales in making his films. And what he suggested is that people who criticize Walt Disney for that don't understand that animation is a specialized art form and that Walt Disney was under no obligation to you know, refrain from making changes to the source document. Um, he was an artist. And also, we have to keep in mind the fairy tales came from an oral tradition and that the stories changed over the generations as they were related. Um, Walt and his team adapted and altered the translations and versions of the fairy tales, mainly to heighten the dramatic thrust of the films and the pacing of the film. But when you when you really know the Grimm Brothers stories and you know about the adaptations that happened after the stories, that when they wrote the stories down, Walt actually came closer to the dark core of the original Grimm Brothers story of Snow White than anyone else had up to that point. So the exhibit is housed in a, in a is not in the main museum building. There is a special exhibition hall behind the museum, which used to be the old base gymnasium. And but this is a gymnasium from the early 1900s. So it's it's a very small space for a museum. So it's it's remarkable how they broke this up into smaller galleries um, for this exhibit. Um, Layla Smith, who's the creative director of the Walt Disney Animation Research Library, was the curator of this exhibit. And she started with 400 art pieces to show from the film, but they only had room for 200 pieces. So um, she got it down to 240 pieces, and through the design of some of the interactive kiosks, she was able to keep it around 240 pieces. Um, millions of pieces of artwork are created for Snow White, but only a fraction of that exists. The reason they have what they have is because the cleanup animation was kept in case they could reuse it. Um, for instance, some of the scenes of, with the dwarves were later used for um, commercials and things like that. Um, Concept art exists because some of the artists kept their artwork after they left the studio. And story sketches, somebody had the wherewithal to keep them all in a binder, and they were later found stored at the studio. Well, and didn't we talk about it during uh, Mary Jo and Nancy during the Anheim Land segment that mm-hmm. they used to sell the they used to you could purchase the cells. Oh yeah. And so that's why a, a lot of the stuff street. is yeah, a lot of the stuff is gone now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Or they reused them. Yeah. They would clean them off and reuse the cells. They erased them? Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Oh, so because they didn't have a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And so they had they, they they were recycled. Wow. <laughs> wow. But and there's also stories, you know that tunnel that runs between the um animation building uh-huh. and and the ink and paint department right. that they they would children of the animators would actually sit on this on this the cells because they were stored in that tunnel and slide down the hallways on it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh-huh. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> so um Snow White and the Seven Dwarves premiered at the Carthay Circle Theater on December twenty fourth 
1937, the film cost $1.6 million to make, and that's 1930s dollars. Wow. So that was staggering, you know, at that time. But Walt Disney was ahead of his time in that this was the first film to release a soundtrack, and although they didn't call it that at that time, but it was, and it was also the first film to have merchandise um, related to it. And the film was wildly successful, and a lot of people, a lot of people at the time felt it was because the animators were able to convey emotions in the characters that, uh, in, until that time, only live-action films could do. I mean, audiences actually wept when Snow White died, you know, in in the theater because they connected so closely to her. Um, Walt was inspired to produce Snow White because he saw a silent film of it in 1916, um, you know, in Kansas City when he was a little boy. But there's almost no similarities between that film, the silent film, and the one that he produced. So when you enter the exhibit, some of the highlights of the exhibit, um, they have a display of international film posters and lobby cards. Um, Walt even um, had holiday-themed movie posters designed because it was released at Christmas time. Um, and a lot of the art, is, especially the international art, the movie posters, it was done by local artists in those countries. And some of it doesn't even resemble the characters from the film hmm. at all. So, uh, so which it's funny to see. Um, also, the special Oscar that you know, Walt received, the Snow uh, Shirley Temple presented to him, you know, the one large Oscar and the seven small ones. Um, that's normally on display in the main lobby of the museum. They've moved it over to the main lobby of this exhibit hall um, for um, for the duration of this of the showing. Um, so you go through first and you see a lot of the samples of all of this artwork from the, the different films. Um, one week after the film premiered, Walt was um, featured in Time magazine, and they have that magazine on display because he's on the cover, with surrounded by the maquettes they used, which are you know the models of the dwarves that were used in the animation of the film. Um, the cool thing about the exhibit is it takes you through segments of the film, like uh, and, and some of the characters, like Snow White, the Evil Queen. Um, the segment where Snow White meets Prince Charming, you know, Snow White's animal friends, um, the seven little men, they call them, because that's what the Grimm brothers called them, um, the music, the Queen's evil plot, the happy ending. And it shows you how those scenes were all developed. And it starts with the concept art. They have then the character sheets that the animators worked from. Um, they have the cells. Um, then they have the background cells. Um, the, the layout, and finally, after you've seen all of this, how this whole segment of the film was created, and you're up close to it, and this is art that has never, in many cases, has never been out of the archives before, um, then they show you the clip of the film, of that final sequence as it appeared in the film. And it, it, it's just amazing to to see this creative process that they went through from start to finish and then see the sequence that we enjoy, you know, when we watch the film. Um, also, they have, a lot, they have several interactive kiosks that do the same thing, but they, haven't, uh, they didn't have room to display the art. So what you can do is the, um, 
that you scroll through and see the same thing. You see all this concept art, the final scene, and they and it's projected so that even a one person might be thumbing through this art. Everybody, you know, multiple people can view it, and and you can. But the cool thing is with this, you can zoom in and really go into the details of the animator's work and and how they sketched a scene, and so it, it's. It's very remarkable. I've not seen that in other museums before. They also show you some of the film from the live action that they showed. You know, they had um, live action references for some of the scenes so that they could capture the human movements or see how the, the dress flowed, you know, like when Snow White danced or when she ran through the forest. Uh-huh. Um, so what they did was they had they sh- they would show simultaneously like there's a scene where Snow White's pulling the bucket of water out of the well. They would show the actress that they hired that they watched while they sketched. They they sh- would show that clip of the film. Then they would show their rough footage, their rough sketches, and and have that running. And then they would also then run the final animation, so you could see the development from the live action all the way to the final animation. And they also... Cool. It is. It's very cool because you just you just see the whole creative process right in front of your eyes. Wow. And they did that with the silly song, which is my favorite sequence in the whole film when, you know, Snow White's dancing with the dwarves. Mm-hmm. And they show that, um, the live action where she's dancing with an incredibly tall man um, because he's, you know, how Dopey is standing on the shoulders of one of the other dwarves and he puts on a coat. Yeah. Um, they showed the whole live action um, film of that that they used as they sketched um, that sequence before they, um, you know, committed it to film and all that. So it's very, it, so again, it, it was just really remarkable to see that. They showed several deleted sequences that that Walt pulled from the film. Um, probably the most famous is the soup eating sequence, and where you know, and there's even a song that's attached to it, where you know all the the dwarves after they you know the where all the dwarves get washed up, and um, well, there's a soup eating sequence after that, and there's this, the story goes that Ward Kimball, you know, one of the original nine old men, spent months drawing this scene he was very proud of this scene and Walt as he watched it realized it interrupted the flow of the story and he pulled it and Ward Kimball was so angry he stormed up the Walt's office intending to quit and um, and Walt got wind of this and Walt who you know, he knew how to work with people. He knew how to motivate people. Um, you know, there, you hear stories where he sounds like an HR nightmare. But then there, then there are other <laughs> times, you know, it's he just knew how to work with people. As Ward Kimball comes into his office, Walt immediately launches into telling him about their next film, which was supposed to be Pinocchio. And, and he starts telling him about this wonderful character that's going to be central to the whole film and it's and, and, and that Ward Kimball is the only one who could possibly bring this character to life. And, and Walt wants him to do it, and it's Jiminy Cricket. Ward Kimball was so thrilled, he walked out of the office, goes <laughs> back to his um, drawing board, 
completely forgot why he had gone up there in the first place. And then he got back to his drawing board and completely realized what Walt had done to him. And But was thrilled that he had Jiminy Cricket. You know, so um, a couple of other... Um, sequences that they showed the concept art for was the bed building sequence where the, the dwarves wanted to show their appreciation for Snow White cleaning their cottage. So there's a very long and elaborate um, bed building scene. And But again, w- Walt felt, you know, because he was a master storyteller, that this interrupted the flow of the story. And it was important um, for them to move to the next scene where, you know, Snow White has her interaction with the witch. And so it was pulled. My very favorite um, scene that got pulled was there's a scene where Dopey was playing a shell game with a squirrel. And the squirrel, of course, was beating Dopey. But it was your typical shell game, you know, with the three shells and you had to find the nut, you know, underneath the shell. And poor, poor Dopey just couldn't figure it out. So um, there, they also have in this exhibit a lot of the rare artwork that has never been seen outside of the studio. Um, for example, in the early concept of the film, the evil queen had a pet. She had a pet panther that would accompany her. Um, there's only two known drawings of the evil queen with the panther, and one of them is in this exhibit. And the Walt decided to drop the panther because he felt it detracted from sort of the imposing personality of the queen, and he wanted the focus in those scenes to be on the queen. So, um, so there, there's a there's a, a quite a few things that I learned about the film going through the exhibit and examining the artwork. Um, some of this of the early concept art showed Snow White as a young girl. Um, Walt wanted to avoid the question of her age, so he instructed the animators, you know, to make her appear old enough for marriage. Um, <laughs> because in in the early in the Grimm brothers stories, she was seven years old, and the evil queen was her mother who wanted her killed. Oh wow! So so Walt toned it down a little by making her older, and also um, that it was the stepmother rather than her mother. Interesting. Yeah, the dwarves were were actually the most serious departure from the Grimm Brothers fairy tale. Um, Walt realized that they were going to be central to the telling of the story and giving the story its heart. So as their role grew um, and and their personalities developed, much of the early work for the film was thrown out because it didn't meet Walt's standards. So uh, this is a, another example of, of, you know, Walt just didn't care about how much the film would cost. It was the results that he wanted. It was that perfection that he wanted, you know, in the film. Uh, one, one thing that I thought was funny is that um, the animators are fascinated by Walt's dark, expressive eyebrows because, you know, Walt was always telling stories and they could read his expressions through his eyebrows and and they they could tell his moods by his eyebrows so six of the dwarves were drawn with Walt's eyebrows (laughs) only 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 one doesn't have Walt's dark eyebrows so now imagine the dwarves in your head which one can you think of the one that doesn't have the dark eyebrows Doc Dopey 
N- no, um, it's actually happy. He has the white bushy eyebrows. Oh. Huh. Until that. So, um, so I thought that was funny. That's so, a good one. Yeah. Um, Snow White was one of the first films to interpret um, music to move the story along. Um, most films, the songs, you know, were standalone numbers that had absolutely no relation to the story. And Walt, Walt would also use the music to relieve tension in the story. Uh, like, for example, the silly song dancing sequence, you know, it's my favorite. It comes right after the queen tries to have Snow White killed, and in that very frightening run through the forest. And so when you really think about where all the songs are placed, and Walt knew exactly where he wanted the songs in the film when he first told the story. In fact, the songwriting started before the drawing even started for the film. Um, but, but when you think about it, it all happens in between these tense, dark scenes in the film. Um, they said the most complicated sequence to animate was the Queen's transformation into the witch. And so the animators looked at the 1932 film Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde um, for inspiration as to how to transform her. And Someday My Prince Will Come was originally planned as a dream sequence with Snow White dancing in the clouds with the prince. And in the original Grimm Brothers story, she doesn't meet the prince until she's dead. The prince happens upon her when she's in her glass coffin. Um, but Walt Disney um, had her meet him at the beginning of the film and then then again at the end. And um, but so then that's why they dropped the whole dream sequence. But the dream sequence, you know, good ideas never died at Walt Disney. That dream sequence, ultimately, the dancing in the clouds was used in another film um, many years later. You know, if you think of Sleeping Beauty and the very end. When they do the fade out, the prince and um, and Aurora dance into the clouds at the end of the film, and that comes directly from from that concept in Snow White. And and they have some beautiful artwork though from this sequence that's on display at the exhibit. Um, this dream sequence that never happened where it's Snow White is walking in the clouds and she's walking amidst all these stars um, surrounding her and it's absolutely beautiful and it's an early version of Snow White where she has more of a resemblance almost of Betty Booper or Mary Pickford Um, they, they hadn't quite you know gotten her features down yet and for, for us theme park fans, um, at the premiere of Snow White was the very first time there were ever walk-around characters. Right. And um, because, you know, the dwarves were there and Mickey and Minnie were there. And um, so, you know, so Snow White's Happily Ever After at the end of the film was actually, you know, a new beginning um, for the Disney Studios. It was a new beginning for um, their animation and storytelling tradition. You know, it led to, you know, Pinocchio, Fantasia, Bambi, and it also led to the building of the Burbank Studios um, as a result. So so that's really the exhibit in a nutshell. Um, the art is breathtaking. It's anybody that either is a fan of animated film or even just a fan of artwork or a fan of filmmaking in general this is an exhibit you are going to love 
and really appreciate and 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 really I think marvel in the artistry and the beauty that that went into the making of this film. Where so. did they put the exhibit in the museum? It's actually not in the museum. There's a building, a white building. It looks almost like a house that's behind the museum. And it's on two floors in there. It's on the main floor that is um, the old gymnasium floor. And then there was like an observation gallery that surrounded it. And you enter at that second floor. And then you walk down the stairs and go in at the um, first floor for the remainder of the for the main part of the exhibit. It's also oh. where the museum's offices are located. That's where they also have other special. Ex- um, they've had other special events there, um, like uh, they've had chamber music events there. They've had their Mad Tea Party when they celebrate Alice in Wonderland there. Um, you know, they have, they, that's also where they have weddings and and things like that. They they rent out that space. Is it a separate ticketed um, entrance? It is. Michael? It's a separate ticketed event. Um, if and I have that information right here. Um, <laughs> it is. If you are not a museum member, if you want a museum and special exhibit ticket together. For adults, it's $25. If student with valid ID, it's $20. Children, 6 to 17, is $15. It w- I think it would have to be a very sophisticated young child that would appreciate this exhibit and the museum. Um, if it's 6 or under, they're free with a paid adult admission. If you just want to see the exhibit and not the museum itself, um, it's $10. And a for everyone, a child under six is free with adult admission. This is—it's very inexpensive for what you see. Um, museum museum admission adult is twenty dollars. There's senior um, rate um, of fifteen dollars for sixty-five and over. Um, student is fifteen. Um, child is twelve dollars. Uh, you know, child under six is free with adult admission. Even the the museum itself, though, again, it, it's really not for really young children. I, I think they'd no. be a bit bored. <laughs> yeah, a bit bored there. Right, and also for people who aren't into Disney, my my uh, cousin came with us on the tour of it, and she we were there for two hours. We could have spent another two hours there, and she was done in like one hour. Yeah, yeah. So we we need. There's a cafe there, right? There is. It's it, It's not very good. <laughs> okay, so, I mean, there's Our, so much there at that museum. I'm just thinking, if you pay to go in and then you go to eat and you come back, do you have to pay again? No. Is, it's okay. good all day. The tickets are also timed um, if you buy the tickets in advance for the exhibit. Um but you, but a lot. But it looked like if you were purchasing them when you went in, you you could go in immediately because uh, they were asking people, "Did you want to go in now, or was there a specific time that you wanted to go in?" When I was there on Saturday, how much time should you uh, allot for the Snow White portion? I went through it in an hour and a half, and I I think I went through it not at a leisurely pace. But I would say an hour and a half to two hours is probably is probably good. Okay. I, I mean, I could definitely go back and see it again. Um, I had to be at a, at the 
the Kaufman presentation at three, but I feel like I, I, I really saw it well. I, I saw it in good detail. But there's so much artwork to see. Uh-huh. You know, I want to go again because I, I know there's details and things that I probably missed. Um, there are a couple of books associated with the exhibit. One is the exhibit catalog. And it's um, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, The Art and Creation of a Disney Classic. These are both, both of the books are beautiful, um, hardbacks filled with art. Um, this, the exhibit catalog really walks you through each of the galleries in the exhibit with a lot of the artwork I talked about. Um, it's written by J.B. Kaufman with a foreword by Diane Disney Miller, who, you know, for some of our listeners, if they're not familiar, is the um, only surviving daughter of Walt Disney and one of the founders of the museum. Um, the, the book is $35, and I know it seems a bit steep, but you, for what you get in this book, that's a really reasonable price um it's available also on amazon museum members can get it at a discount in the um, bookstore um, at the museum as well there's a larger book that was released for the 75th anniversary of snow white and it's called the fairest one of all the making of walt disney snow white and the seven dwarfs i mean this thing is Big. I mean, if you hit someone over the head with this, you would do serious damage. <laughs> and this is different in that it chronicles the making of the film. I mean, the whole history of Snow White. I mean, it begins with the Grimm brothers, and you can learn all about them and how they um, they got this. Because, you know, the Grimm brothers didn't write the fairy tales. They gathered them. And they wrote seven versions of some of their fairy tales because they changed over time. And also... Well, and also a lot of times people weren't happy with the original versions. For instance, you know, I, I'm a, I was a teacher and, I, you know, I had to really know fairy tales. You know, in the early, first version of Rapunzel, she she was an unwed mother. Um, Jack and the Beanstalk was, uh, all he did was steal from the giant. He had no purpose in doing it. P- mothers did not react well to those original stories uh, of those fairy tales. So the Grimm brothers changed them over time to more of the stories we know now. So they go through that with the different versions that the Grimm brothers went through, um, the different adaptations that led to the making of the film Walt Disney that Walt Disney made, and then and even up to what Walt Disney did with the film afterwards, um, after he made it. So it's, a, it's an extremely comprehensive book, and it does have a lot of additional artwork that doesn't appear in the book that, um, that you know, is, is the catalog for the exhibit. And, and also, just so that you know, the museum is, the museum hours is open um, Wednesday through Mondays, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m., It and it's closed every Tuesday. And the last ticket sale and entry is at 4.45 p.m. So, and that's, that's it for Snow White, and I think Walt Disney's version of Snow White is the fairest one of all. Nice. Excellent. Going to have to make another trip up there. Definitely. Make it a weekend. What you do is have a sophisticated adult Disney weekend. <laughs> there you go. 
come to the museum on on like a Saturday, let's say, and and see the Snow White exhibit. You know, maybe go to Fisherman's Wharf, have a have a nice um, dinner, and then on Sunday go to the Silverado Winery in Napa, which is owned by Ron Miller and Diane Disney Miller. Enjoy some wine, then go to the last, you know, go to the Lassiter Family Winery, which you know is owned by John Lassiter and his wife Nancy, and um, you know, make a day of that. <laughs> you know, and and then um, so you know, we 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 have a whole different Disney experience up here in Northern Definitely. California. <laughs> we have no Disney experience in Central California. But. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you, Michael. That is going to do it for this segment of the Dis Unplugged. Be sure to catch our other Disneyland shows this week, and of course, we'll be back again with you in two weeks. Until then, remember, Disneyland is always more magical when it's shared. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.